Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. I'm Connor and I'm once again here remotely with Alan. Hello. This week on the show, we're diving into the topic of motivation and the psychology behind how you can boost this to achieve your goals. We also look at a recent news story on the German fintech group who lost $1.9 billion in cash before getting to this week's student question. So Alan, this is something that um, a lot of students have, have got onto us when they've requested topics. It's something that comes up in different webinars we run, but is really about people struggling with motivation. And I know it's something you know people might struggle with at the best of times, but this has really been made slightly more difficult because there has been a, a bit of um, you know a large change in circumstances due to COVID-19. People might be now working and studying at home, their normal routine might be upset. So it's just an area that people struggle with. And when you struggle with this, it can make all aspects of your life difficult, but particularly preparing for your exams. Yeah, I think it has a real negative, it can have a real negative effect, like on everything and um, all the different things that can be affected if you are lacking motivation in your exams because it has an, a, a knockover effect into the way you sleep and the way you eat and the way you interact with people. So you end up like talking to nobody, have no social life, you're not studying properly, you're not enjoying work, you can't sleep at night. And it has a real a real impact that, that over time um, can make you kind of hate the exams when it's not really the exams at fault in a way. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is we were looking at this psychology paper which dives into different ways that you can turn this around, but they do highlight that at the start. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's kind of like a pendulum. You you know, your lack of motivation can affect your sleep, nutrition, doing activity, but that in turn affects your motivation and it, you can just kind of spiral out um, and, and find yourself in a difficult position. Um, so we've talked on lots of other episodes about the importance of those kind of base level things that you need to make sure you're getting, like exercise, sleep, nutrition. And that is really important if you're going to be able to stay motivated but what we want to look at today is kind of some different ways to look at things and they they kind of give a few different examples that they've looked into backed by psychology of how um, particularly students preparing for exams how you can stay motivated so the first one um, which I found quite interesting is this idea of turning poor expectations of satisfaction into positive ones and the idea behind this is you know, if there are two things combined and one aspect you don't want to get, but the other you do, um, if you can find the right balance that, you know, the the importance you place in the positive outcome is worse than the effort you have to put into it. So the example they give on this, um, if you think of any situation where you've been given a dare or a bet to do something, so it might say, okay, if you jump into the river you'll get 100 euro. Now, you really don't want to do the jumping into the river, which they call a low probability behavior or a dislikable behavior. But the other outcome, getting the 100 euro, is something you really want. They say it's a high probability behavior and an, or a reinforcing behavior. And because you place more weight on that reinforcing behavior, um, you know, you're, you're likely to do that. And there is a point to all this. What they tie this back to is, you know, for things like preparing for exams, we look, we focus on that low probability thing or that behavior that we don't like of studying and, you know, putting the work in. But you have to find and align your expectations to the bit you do like, whether 
that's you know looking at the end goal of getting the exam or even just rewarding yourself throughout the study cycle and looking at that um you know the benefits and that that reinforcing stuff that you know is worth more than than maybe some of the pain that's going into studying and like using your example i think the hard part about studying is if i jumped into the river i get out of the river and somebody's standing there with the 100 euro and they're giving it to me i think the problem with the exams is that you're jumping into the river now but in two years time somebody's going to give you 100 euro and uh, i think that's where as you said the reward some way of rewarding yourself kind of through the process for 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 getting whatever it be passing every exam or getting through every exam sitting because that that gap is what what you struggle with because it's really then short term you're really thinking oh well then like it's I'm, i know i have to study today but I feel like I'm not getting my reward for a very long time. And, and that's what, in a way, that's what balances up the, the dislikable behavior and what you're looking to succeed in because of time makes it, send, makes it seem really further away. But in the grand scheme of your life, hopefully the gap between doing your exams and actually qualifying isn't that long. Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, the, the really important point and something we do try to hit home is you, you do have to break it down. Um, you know, you can't just be looking at that end goal of, of getting your final qualification because you will lose sight of that during it. So as you said, you do need to build in that reward and keep seeing the bigger picture and keep, you know, knowing that each bit of study you do, that's a positive thing in itself and it's building towards something bigger. To continue to harp on with this example, you know, it's grand if you were jumping in the river once and getting the money after, but if you were told, okay, jump in that river every day for three months and then at the end you get the money, I'm sure during those three months you'd start to just get really frustrated, you're questioning why you're doing it. So it's it's really about, um, as they say here, aligning what you're doing to that um, reinforcing behavior. So that bigger thing that you're working towards. And if you can keep doing that and if you can reward yourself during your study or, you know, if you're doing a few days study and then you get to your day off and you really enjoy that day off and you know, well, I've earned this day off because of the study I've done other days, the more you can make that connection, um, the the better motivated you're going to be. And as he said, that motivation is what drives you to keep going and um, you'll get more of that reinforcing behavior as you go. So, so I thought that was a, a kind of really interesting connection. And you can see how people get so focused on the, the part of the task they don't like that they don't realize all the, the benefits and the bits they do enjoy come from that. And I think that it's the reward is key. And the reward doesn't have to be anything amazing. Like I, I think back, I, there was a, uh, one of the tennis, I think it was the US Open, um, and she won the ladies' championship or women's championship. And um, they asked her and said, how are you going to celebrate tonight? And like, she just won the US Open. I think it's $2 million or whatever it might mm. be. And she said, yeah, well, now we're finished the tournament. I'm going to go home and have a, a chocolate bar. And, yeah. and everybody kind of looks at her. Uh, and But like for her, because they have to concentrate so much on every little thing goes into her head that's a huge reward and she'll probably wake up the next morning kind of thinking i shouldn't have that chocolate bar i'm gonna go have to go train now yeah but it really is it's that but that like that satisfied her as a reward so that was her 100 euro for for jumping in into the swimming pool and i think building in little rewards like that and enjoying them and, and and recognizing them for what they are i think is key and i think if you get if you get like that, you'll look forward to your, your motivation isn't 
three years away or two years away when you finish all the exams, it does become, oh, well, like next, as you said, next week I can have a day off in three weeks' time, I can have a chocolate bar, whatever your equivalent is, and really work towards that. Yeah. So the the next one that they um, dived into in this paper was the idea of self-efficacy, where, where people believe that they don't have the ability to succeed on the task. And that is what's, um, you know, taking away from their motivation because they don't think they can uh, achieve it. And they talk of kind of four different ways that they that you can, um, you know, both talk to yourself or that other people can assist you with this, but we're going to look at each of these um, individually. So the first one is what they call inactive mastery, and it's it's helping people realize that they've succeeded on similar tasks before. And that's something that we try to drive, you know, when we talk to our students or wherever we can. It's Sometimes people feel overwhelmed that, you know, they're, they're doing this exam and they're not going to be able to do it. But you've had success most likely in lots of exams in the past through school or maybe during your qualification Um, and it's really important that you recognize that this is something that you can achieve and you succeeded on this before it's maybe just that you're approaching a different type of exam or or a different way of study yeah i think i I always say like uh, to people who are struggling um in their exams in their accounting exams especially i can't speak for most other disciplines but i think it's the same for most exams if you look around the world, like um, all the bodies will say, we have hundreds of thousands of students worldwide and hundreds of thousands of members worldwide, and they all compete in that. And you kind of think, well, if hundreds of thousands of people can qualify, I don't want to say it's not hard, but it's certainly not for um, the top 2% of people in Mensa. And I think yeah. everybody has to think that they are, they are more than capable. There's no reason... Um, if you walk out in the middle of a, a road and you pick the nearest five or ten people, there's no reason why you are more or less capable of doing your, in this case, accounting exams, but any exams than any of the other people you see. And I think you have to go in with that feeling that uh, it's not about how well you do. It's not about being better or worse than the person beside you. It's about achieving your goals and your goals is to get your qualification and what you need to do and there's, I, I really don't believe there's anybody who lacks the capability uh, of doing it. They just some uh, has have to work a little bit harder and have to approach it a little bit differently. And as you said, everybody's had successes. And, and so when I look at like my school exams and I passed them and I did really well, why shouldn't they accept it? I did my professional accounting exams last week and I passed them. And then the next one, why shouldn't I pass the next one? There's no reason. And you might feel that because you're going up levels, you might think, oh, this is getting harder. I've never been good on mathematical subjects or on subjects I have to write lots in. But realistically, that's a a mindset you need to get yourself out of. And it's really about saying, why can't I do it? And I don't think there's any reason anybody listening to this couldn't be successful. Yeah, and I, I think you touched on um, one of the points they identify here, which they talk about how important it is to see how other students like you and students that you identify with have succeeded in this. And you mentioned that, you know, there's a there's huge pass rates lots of students come through this and you need to not see those students as different to you or how do they do it or i could never be like that but identify that they're just like you um, and you can succeed the same and i remember when i was doing my professional exams talking with people who just finished it and you know you kind of look at them of like wow how did you do it how did you get through them so comfortably but they've all been in that same position as you and they say you know like I I was the exact same I was worried but 
you get there in the end. And then I remember saying the, the same thing to people coming after me and they think, God, how did you get through it so smoothly? And you say, no, I was the exact same as you, but you know, you will all um, succeed. And it's just a case of seeing yourself in that light. And it's, you know, it's not even necessarily competition against other students. You're all kind of in this together, trying to get the same thing. So do talk with others, do share that experience. The next one they talk about is what they call verbal persuasion, which is, you know, helping students to realize that they have the knowledge and the skill to succeed. Um, it's just a case of putting in the effort alongside that. And that's something we try to, to hit home throughout the sittings or leading up to people's exams is that, you know, the knowledge and skills that you're taking on board are building throughout leading up to that exam. And if you keep putting in that effort and keep working hard, you'll get there in the end. Oftentimes early on when you're preparing for an exam, you just feel like you don't have that knowledge and skill and that's what people lose the motivation. But know that that's building the whole time and if you're keeping putting in the effort, you'll get there in the end. Well, it's like one of the things that um, we sometimes tell students to do is that nearly one of the early things we try and get you to do is to practice a question or look at a solution or, or, or look at something that shows you what you have to get to in the end. Because you are going to have that moment, even if you've passed exams before, you'll have that moment of, oh, I'll never get to that. I'll, I'll never find that. But what you have to, and what we try and say to you is that here's what you have to achieve and here's how you achieve it. And it gives you a real, um, I think they talk about having a, a strategy. And we're give it, we give you a strategy and everybody will give you a strategy in order to achieve that. So your goal is to achieve that level of competence, let's say. Um, but there's no doubt about it that every time you make your own attempt, you're 10% closer, you're 5% closer. And, and I think that's the key part to know that every time it's not about failing in between. There's only one time you have to pass it. It's the day you sit down in the exam. Everything else is just building up and making improvements and improvements and improving improvements and trusting yourself and the strategy you've been given to that you will actually succeed. Yeah. And, then the last point, which I find really interesting that they talk about in terms of how you kind of talk to yourself is this physiological state. And they talk about, you know, physiological symptoms like sweating and shaking and slow, um, shallow breathing. They often imply pessimism, fear, they build your stress and that can kind of, um, you know, cause that stress to grow and, and lose your motivation. Whereas in contrast to that, if you are, you know, expressing yourself in a positive way um, you know trying to be happy with your study trying to focus on you know staying calm throughout your study that deep breathing all of these physiological things will imply to yourself a level of optimism more comfort they'll take away that stress and they'll help build that motivation because you're you're feeling good about what you're doing and they talk of the importance of that you know it's reinforcing to yourself that you feel good, you feel confident, and that will, you know, maintain that um, motivation and it will, will make sure that stress isn't creeping in. So it's really important that you're, you're showing that to yourself, you're telling yourself that. And Alan, I'm sure you have some sports analogy about positive <laughs> mental attitude and, and the importance of seeing yourself achieve those things and throughout your training and, and how that helps manifest itself. Well, even going back to exam, it's funny because, um, I would, in the, when I go into an exam, I'm very, and I purposely do this, it, I'm, I'm smiling and I'm relaxed and I'm chatty with people if they want to chat. And um, even, I would say, nearly slightly a bit hyper. 
um, and people go, oh, it's really annoying seeing you like this or how come you're always so relaxed or calm or whatever. But it's actually not about anybody else. It is what you said. It's like I'm tricking myself to be calm. I'm telling myself there's nothing to worry here. I'm telling myself you've done all you can do and the best thing you can do now is to relax because I've also sat on the other side and I remember them too when I wasn't as prepared and you could feel yourself. I think they have here sweating and shaking and shallow breathing mm. and, and it really and it's really hard to recover from that. It, it's really, and okay, it might take 10 minutes and after 10 minutes, you kind of get yourself into, into shape. But those 10 minutes in professional exams, that's 10 minutes could be the difference between not getting a question finished and not passing. So that, that, but that feeling really starts early and it starts when you're doing your study. It starts when you read a question um, at home and, and you look at a question, you think, I can answer this, I can do this. And if I can't do it today, I can do it the next time. But I know there'll come a stage when I can answer this really, really well. And if you get into that habit, the morning of your exam, you'll get up, you'll look at yourself in, in the mirror and you'll think, I can do this. I've, I've done all the work. I will get the reward. And it is, I think you, you gave me an avenue to walk into a sports metaphor, so okay. Um, but I do think the biggest thing in sports, and if you talk to sports people, um, whether individual or team, um, is visualization. And this is exactly what they're talking about here, is this, um, this impact you can have yourself. So if you're a, a rugby player kicking it over the the post you see them all looking at the post they're actually following an imaginary ball going over the post so in their mind their mind can already see the ball going over so their body will nearly automatically do what's required in order to get the ball going over there's no doubt and i i think like people who run races see themselves kind of finishing first um not a good example from a doping perspective but i've just watched hmm. a lot of programs on lance armstrong <laughs> but when you look at okay he's not a great but when you look at his his mental his mindset about always imagining that he had to be the first over the line and he'd do anything in a race he'd, he'd cycle as fast as he could because he has this uh, inbuilt confidence that he always imagined even before he did the race that he was going to be first over the line and there's a lot to be said for that visualization and, and it's not about what other people think it's about about you achieving your goals and and for, it's not you're not impacting on anybody your confidence isn't making anybody else fail an exam your confidence is doing everything it can for you to pass an exam and avoid those horrible sweaty shaky quick shallow breathing moments in exams don't forget to follow us on facebook and instagram for extra content important news live streams study tips and much more so alan our news story this week is one which we love on the show, a uh, large-scale scandal. Um, oh, this is this is bigger a, than a large. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is a company called Wirecard, who are a German fintech group, and they have um, first acknowledged the potential scale of a multi-year accounting fraud where 1.9 billion euro of cash on its balance sheet, they said, probably does not exist. Mm. Um, so <laughs> somewhere along the way over years of this fraud, this, this money has been lost, which 
should certainly be worrying not just the company but regulators auditors everyone um, and they're saying that what's happened it, it has previously mischaracterized its biggest source of profits and that it's trying to work out whether in which manner and to what extent such business has actually been conducted for the benefit of the company and because of this it's withdrawn its financial results and um, said other years accounts may be accurate its share price understandably has plummeted um, it's you know embroiled in it obviously a huge glo- national uh, particularly but global scandal where everyone is looking at this and wondering how this happened and what went wrong um so yeah really where to start with the number of, of issues that uh, wirecard are facing here it's funny because when i read this story the very first time um i just had a thought in my head that you know when you have like money in your pocket, it might be ten euro, and and you put it in the washing machine, or you when you go to look the next time, it wasn't there, and you find a hole in your pocket, and you lost ten euro, and mm. the feeling of annoyance and regret for losing a small <laughs> amount of money, and then you kind of go, well, one point nine billion. How could you? What what type of emotions must you be feeling that you yeah. lost one point nine billion? And there's lots of talk about they attracted to different countries, or they got as far as the country, but they don't know where it is. Yeah, it's a like it's a phenomenal thing to do and i think i think somebody described it as the kind of 21st century enron at one point i saw yeah and it really is like this it's a it's a phenomenal thing um that you can just lose this amount of money and everybody that nobody has a clue yeah and it, it goes into details of you know probably more to do with what this business does they've these third-party acquiring businesses um who handle external things we won't get into the ways that this occurred but what did happen was they had um over the last year and a half these whistleblower allegations about this fraud um there was documents published in the financial times that indicated clients listed in um their auditor ey who i'm sure are pretty nervous with everything that's <laughs> happening um, that, that yeah the clients listed in documents prepared for ey didn't exist there was then a special audit conducted by kpmg which was unable to verify that any of these arrangements were genuine um, and then they found out that between 2016 and 2018 roughly half of wirecard sales and the lion's share of its profits um were attributed to this third party acquiring um with which they couldn't prove anything was was real. So um, yeah, it it just is the type of scandal that you hear of these things in the past, and you start to think, well, how could anything like this happen again or to this scale? Um, but you know, these things just have a have a way, and and people can do it in such a sophisticated way that it's it's not uncovered even by auditors. You see, two of the world's largest firms look into this, and they're even struggling to to figure it or get to the the bottom of it um and yeah the 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 effects it can have because there's huge companies who use this wire card um for their payment services also their shareholders um are naturally worried with the price plummeting but um i saw that one analyst said that it's likely that equity holders will be left with nothing when all is said and done which doesn't bode well if you're an investor in this company. Yeah, no, I think you're. They have to recover the money, even part of it, somewhere. And certainly, equity holders are usually the first people. Not that they look for you, put your hands out. They just take whatever you gave them, and, and you're done. And like you look at the regulator, and and 
I think regulators are certainly quick to come out against companies and stuff. But like you look, know, the German regulator, like they must be certainly coming under fire, and there must be whatever about publicly being blamed. They must be having a lot of nervous meetings internally to say like, how did we not notice this? Because like I think you could easily get a a future exam as a student. And I can think of multiple subjects where this could be uh, a case study or a scenario or uh, the background to a question. And like, you kind of think, well, like there's audit controls missing. There's all of these type of things missing. And yeah. like, they're, they're basic things that if you put, if you describe this story in, in a number of, any number of exams, I think most students would actually be able to list all the things that if this actually company did, they mightn't have lost the money. And I think in a way it seems to be that basic, if you know what I mean, that like, it's just the basic things weren't followed to actually yeah. lose and money. I think we always like those ones that you can clearly see how it ties back and it does start to make sense of why you you do have all these corporate governance practice, things like ethics, um, you know, from an auditing standpoint, controls, all these things start to make sense and all these business structures when you see how wrong it can go when these aren't adhered to. So I, I did find this a really interesting story. And I thought, you know, particularly topical at the moment, um, I can't think one, one person commenting on the story said that, you know, um, fraud in companies can happen in good and bad times, but in bad times when everyone's a bit more strapped for cash, that's when these large scale frauds can be exposed. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, in the wake of obviously COVID-19, when a payments company and all their clients, I'm sure, are, are being hit, that, that this has really come to light and is, is hitting the headlines. I don't think this will be the last time we'll talk about this story on this podcast. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on LearnSignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams. Okay, Connor. so this week's student question um, was student wondering when they can sit the on-demand exams again for ACCA. Yeah, so ACCA have actually communicated during the week that they now have remote on-demand computer-based exams, which are available to book in any countries where you aren't able to sit the centre-based exams. So for anyone who's looking to prepare for an on-demand exam now, you're either able to do that in your country in an exam centre if they're open, or you'd be able to do it um, and book remotely. So there's no reason why um, anyone can't get back on track with that, book an exam, start preparing for that, uh, and build the momentum with that. One of the things that ACCA did highlight, though, was just before you make your booking, make sure you do review, um, if you are doing a remote exam, the remote on-demand CBE guidance. Um, there's certain minimum device specifications you need. There's obviously additional regulations. And you just want to make sure before you book those remote exams that you can run and sit that exam successfully. But you can find all of that guidance and information and, and how you go about booking those exams on their website. So if that is something you're preparing for or in a position to do, um, it's really important that you look there. So we're going to finish up there for this week. We hope that you can take on board some of the advice that we gave around motivation and keep on track with your study preparing for your next exam. But from us this week, thanks, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>